Professor, we often call evolution Darwinism. But I was reading this week that another man published similar ideas at almost the same time as Darwin. That's right. His name was Alfred Russell Wallace. He agreed with Darwin on some points, but some of his evolutionary ideas were quite different from Darwin's ideas. The official name of our program is Truth in the Test Tube. We sometimes call it by the shorthand version T-Cubed. But by either name, we hope you'll find these next few minutes interesting and informative. In our previous two programs, we began discussing a book entitled Letter to an Influential Atheist. The author addressed it to best-selling atheistic author and Oxford University professor Dr Richard Dawkins. Author Roger Steer opens chapter 3 by referring to the man who co-discovered the theory of evolution by natural selection and published it at nearly the same time as Darwin, Alfred Russell Wallace. Steer writes to Dawkins, Although you often link the two men's names, you omit to tell us an important fact of history. That is, that while Wallace and Darwin respected each other, and Wallace was one of the pallbearers at Darwin's funeral, the two men never agreed about the explanatory power of natural selection. Do you mean Wallace didn't think evolution could achieve as much as Darwin thought it could? Right. Wallace worked as an architect and teacher in Great Britain before travelling and then working as a naturalist. He collected more than 125,000 specimens, first in the Amazon Basin and later in the Indonesian archipelago, where the Wallace Line between Borneo and the Moluccas Islands was named after him. Even in his twenties, as an eager young naturalist, Wallace was convinced that natural processes were not random. He wrote, Everywhere, not here and there, but everywhere, and in the smallest operations of nature to which human observation has penetrated, there is purpose and continual guidance and control. Some scholars talk about a god of the gaps, theorising that when there is a gap or break between species, God worked. For example, when he wanted non-living chemicals to transform into the first living cell, God did that. Wallace thought God was active at that point, but that he was also continually in control of nature. Wallace wrote a paper that embraced the idea of a general design behind nature. In two nights... He penned a complete theory in 12 pages. Amazing! Didn't it take Darwin 20 years to analyse his findings and arrange his thoughts for publication? Yes, Darwin repeatedly rechecked and revised his ideas, and he wrote a lot more than 12 pages. Perfectionists keep working, never sure that their work is good enough to publish. Wallace didn't know Darwin was working on the concept of evolution when he sent Darwin a summary of his ideas in 1858. Is that what motivated Darwin to publish Origin of Species in 1859? Yes, Darwin was stunned to read Wallace's conclusions and realised they were so similar to his ideas. Speer writes, Wallace's work modified and hastened the publication of Darwin's Origin. Darwin was at this time 49 and Wallace 35. They published their theories jointly in a professional journal in 1858. Darwin's book Origin of Species was published the following year. Wallace became a professional member of the Royal Society, which is the British Academy of Sciences. 
the Royal Society awarded him its Royal Medal and Darwinian Medal for his independent origination of the origin of species by natural selection. When people invent the same basic idea independently, they sometimes develop a hostile rivalry. Did that happen between Darwin and Wallace? No. Twelve years after publication, Darwin wrote to Wallace, I hope it's a satisfaction to you to reflect that we've never felt any jealousy towards each other, though in one sense we were rivals. Darwin told another person, He must have a really good, honest and noble disposition, a far higher merit than mere intellect. On what ideas did Wallace and Darwin disagree? Steer writes, eight years before his death, Wallace listed the matters on which he differed from Darwin. He pointed out that whereas Darwin believed that there was no difference between humanity's nature and animal nature, Wallace believed that a different agency came into play to develop the intellectual and spiritual nature of humanity. So he didn't believe man inherited his brain and spirit from animals. Right. Steer tells Dawkins on the issue of whether evolution has a direction, and if so, who directs the process, you're wrong to imply that Wallace was on your atheistic side. He fervently believed that evolution must have been guided at all stages by some form of supernatural direction. He also believed that the same supernatural director prepared the earth for us to enjoy. So Wallace thought natural selection couldn't do as much as Darwin thought it could. That's right. Wallace thought that there are three stages that cannot be accounted for by natural selection. First, the change from inorganic to organic when the living protoplasm first appeared. Second, the introduction of consciousness. And third, the existence in man of a number of characteristics that elevate man above other animals. Which specific features did he think made man higher than animals? Well, it's a long list. It includes things like the ability to appreciate art and music, the ability to reason mathematically, the development of moral and ethical systems, and the understanding of abstract concepts such as time, eternity, and infinity. Wallace wrote, How were all or any of these faculties first developed, when they could have been of no possible use to man in his early stages of barbarism? How could natural selection or survival of a fittest in the struggle for existence favour the development of mental powers so entirely removed from the material necessities of savage men? In other words, why do we have brains much smarter than we would need to merely survive? Wallace believed in a creative power and a directive mind and criticised those who thought living things were so simple that their origin didn't need explaining. He spoke of the life-giver and the mind-giver, meaning God the Creator. He also realised that consciousness cannot be produced by piling on more molecules. He wrote, It's impossible for us to believe that the mere addition of one, two, or a thousand other material elements to form a more complex molecule could in any way tend to produce a self-conscious existence. Sensation or self-consciousness is infinitely removed from absolutely unconscious matter. Dawkins frequently writes that both Darwin and Wallace interpreted evolution in an atheistic way. Steer corrects him, saying, You are plainly wrong to couple the two men together in the way you do. Wallace wrote, 
we possess intellectual and moral faculties which must have had another origin, and for this origin we can only find an adequate cause in the unseen universe of spirit. I read somewhere that Wallace was especially interested in the cell. Yes, he emphasised a cell is not just a particle of protoplasm, but an organised structure. He asked, organised by what? In Wallace's day, the biologist Thomas Huxley used to maintain that life itself was the organising power, and some botanists used the term vital force. German naturalist Ernst Haeckel used to talk about a cell soul. Wallace insisted that none of these suggestions went to the heart of the problem. Force is a cause of motion, not a cause of organisation. That's an interesting observation. Force is a cause of motion, not a cause of organisation. Merely moving objects around produces chaos and disorder. It doesn't organise things into a system that functions smoothly. There must be something to guide and coordinate the process that builds up a complex living organism. Wallace realised the cell repairs itself. It also multiplies itself and it adapts itself to its ever-changing environment. To do all this, Wallace believed the cell had to have been made by a mind far higher, greater, more powerful than any of the fragmentary minds we see around us. A mind not only adequate to direct and regulate all the forces at work in living organisms, but which itself is the source of all those forces and energies. That's a very important point. Force can produce motion, but it can't produce the intricate organisation that we find throughout nature. That seems to fit the Bible's statement about God, that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We call our program Truth in the Test Tube, or T-Cubed, discussing some of the many ways that science harmonizes with the Bible. Our staff is available to answer any questions that came to your mind as you were listening. There are two ways to reach us. Email us at testtube at radio882.com. Again, that's testtube at radio882.com. Or write us at Truth in the Test Tube, P.O. Box 4320, Bangalore, 560043, India. Again, that's Truth in the Test Tube, P.O. Box 4320, Bangalore, 560043, India. Whether you call it T-Cubed or Truth in the Test Tube, be sure to join us next time for another fascinating discussion. Discussion.